This video is brought to you by Holocasa. Our tool transforms independent local real estate agents to global real estate agents. Create your own profile for free and get contacted by international investors. Sign up with the link in the description. Hello and welcome everyone to our 97th session of Halukasa. My name is Michael and today I'm talking to Rolof Oppermann. Rolof has vast experience in venture capitalists in the prop tech industry uh, with many investments in well-known startups. He's originally from Jayburg in South Africa, graduated from Phi Beta Kappa Magna Cum Laude from Emory University in Atlanta and Georgia. And apart from that, he's co-founding chair of ULI, Europe Technology, and Real Estate Product Council, a member of the ULI UK Executive Committee and chair of GRI, Global Venture Capital and PropTech Committee. At Fifth Wall, he is partner and co-head of the Europe, European team, where he focuses on technology and innovations within all real estate asset classes. Rolof, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're actually the first person on the show coming basically from the investment side. Okay. I'm interviewing on Hello Casa right now. So I'm super pumped to have you. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. So, um, so I'm Rolf Opperman. I'm a partner here at Fifth Wall. I co-head our European office and our European fund. Um, uh, I'm, as you said, originally from South Africa, uh, but obviously with my accent moved when I was quite young uh, to the US. Uh, most of my background's been in uh, software, uh, you know, investment banking, and then also venture capital. Um, I was at a fund called Norwest Venture Partners before Fifth Wall, um, and I did software and information services, and then was an early employee at Fifth Wall, you know, basically almost at the beginning, um, and uh, have been with the company since, worked on our first two US-focused funds, and then came over um, uh, about two and a half years ago to London uh, to help set up our office here uh, with my partner, Miguel, um, and then we, uh, we just, you know, we, we set out to raise this European fund, which we just raised. Perfect. Amazing. Yeah, I've, I've seen uh, many videos and also very interesting YouTube channel, I have to say, well, by, by, done, by done by Fifth Wall on the entire real, real estate tech. Um, let me quickly um, ask you a little bit of, of, first of all, before we jump into Fifth Wall, about your career, um, you hold uh, many degrees, you know, including CFA, um, also worked for very well-known investment banks. Um, before jumping into real estate and prop tech, uh, first of all, what made you move? To Fifth Wall in particular? Yeah, and also to real estate because uh, yeah. what is like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sure. So um, so I was at Norwest and interestingly enough, um, we started covering the real estate technology, mostly real estate software area. And uh, we actually had a company that um, was in the space. And when I looked at that company and then, you know, not necessarily that company, but when I looked at the space, I looked at a lot of the code that the software was written in and the code was quite old, quite ancient code. Um, and so I thought this was quite interesting. I was like, okay, that, that's interesting because you know every other sector has the software that's kind of got leading code and the code's constantly changing and going into new languages, but this seems to be quite stale and yet it's doing really well in the sense of it's profitable and it's sticky. Um, and that led me to do a, a more broad project where I essentially looked at areas where software had not penetrated yet. So, you know, the famous saying that, you know, software is going to eat the world. I said, okay, well, it's going to eat the world. Where has it not eaten yet? And if you looked at this, one thing I did was I basically looked at percent of spend uh, of revenue on IT and technology. And almost every other sector was 
basically four to seven percent, except real estate was, I think it was less than one, it was one tenth of one percent. And so that was kind of highlighted in my, I still have that chart I put together. Um, and that was kind of highlighted in my head. And, you know, a lot of life is timing, a lot of venture capital is timing. Um, and so sure enough, that's when, um, you know, Brad and Brennan reached out and, and talked to me about coming over to Fifth Wall. And so here you had a fund that was focused on real estate technology um, and had this very unique angle where we were going to work with, you know, the majority of our capital was going to come from these big owners and operators um, with the idea that, you know, real estate, one of the reasons that it hasn't advanced so much is that it's a bit of a herd mentality, right? No one wants to be the first to try something and fail. And so you generally wait until a big brand and an established name tries a technology, makes it work, and then everyone else follows. And so they had this idea, you know, we had this idea of getting those established brands into a fund, being their eyes and ears on tech, picking what we thought were the winners, investing in it, and then getting the strategics and the, and the, you know, the real estate corporates to adopt it. And because they adopted it, everyone else would, right? Um, and so that kind of strategic angle was very interesting to me. Plus the fact that I thought that, you know, this definitely was an area where uh, there was going to be a huge amount of technology investment and advancement uh, just because of the, in a sense, the debt of, 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 of technology investment that it accumulated over, over time. Yeah. You are basically um, enabling real estate or big corporate real estate um, uh, companies to become a tech company. And I uh, really like one of your presentations, which you gave to one of the big conferences. I think it was in Greece, where you say, why didn't Marriott invent uh, Airbnb? And uh, on, uh, also talking about all, all the OTAs. Um, give us an overview of um, maybe to the audience exactly the mission and the approach of fifth wall of uh, the intersection between tech and real estate? Yeah, sure. So like I said, majority of our uh, investment capital comes from big owners and operators in real estate. We started with about eight in fund one six years ago. Now we have 90. Um, the rest come from pensions, endowments, et cetera, kind of LPs a lot of VCs have. What we do is a few things. One is that we integrate these LPs, these strategic LPs into our underwriting process. So they know real estate really, really well, right? They're experts in real estate. Uh, we like to think we're good at technology, right? And so we're tapping into their brains on all the different issues that come up in real estate. It's a highly regulated business, which is fantastic. Um, there's two things that come from that, right? One is that we get really great theme, thematic investment ideas from them. If we talk to one partner and then talk to another partner and another partner and talk to nine partners and say they have the same problem, well, that's the beginning of product market fit, which is really what you're looking for in venture. Um, but then once we identify a company that we think is interesting, we can actually run it through the pipes, right? We can get our partner's assessment of it. We can say, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? Um, and if it's physical or software, we can get them to test it out. Hey, is this valuable to you? Um, so that's one. The second then is obviously once we invest, we then have these incredible distribution channels. Um, and they really come in two, two ways. One is a lot of times our LPs that are you know, real estate owners and operators are literally the customers of these companies. So take uh, a view the space VTS. Most of our LPs are customers of that software, right? So in that case, it's very easy, right? We, we distribute it through our LPs um, and we help with that distribution and that, that corporate distribution. 
The second is where it's more of a partnership channel. So the great example would be Hippo Insurance, uh, which is one that I led, um, where uh, you know we had Lennar, the biggest home builder, as an investor. Obviously, Lennar is not buying homeowners insurance policies, but their customers are, and so it's a distribution channel through them. Uh, so I think that that that's kind of the the other angle that we uh, that we participate on. The other thing we do for our portfolio companies, I mean. Just like you know, we do what most VCs do, right? Strategic advice, hiring, those types of things. But I think what makes us a little bit special, in my opinion, is um, you know I'm spending almost all day with our LPs and executives in real estate. So half my time is executives in real estate, half my time is with founders. And so even though I'm a tech person, there's a certain amount of nomenclature and understanding you get in terms of what resonates with these people, what sells, what doesn't sell. And so we work a lot with our portfolio companies and have a whole team called the Valley Creation Team that works with them on their marketing materials. How do you get in? How do you how do you sell the, you know, these people? Um, and I think that's very, very valuable um, as these companies are scaling, as they're building out their sales teams, as they're really thinking about, you know, um, getting that acquisition and getting that sales channel through. So at a high level, that's really how we work and work with our partners and invest. Super nice. In fact, you're acting like a market maker between LPs and then startup founders. Um, on the startup founder um, landscape there, do you have any certain checkboxes which have to be ticked in order to be eligible for you to be considered or maybe to, uh, to be presented by an analyst, uh, by one of your analysts to you? Is there a certain, uh, certain, certain framework which you normally follow? That's a great question. Yeah, so I would say that, look, we have a variety of funds out there. So generally stage is not an issue. We look at almost all stages, um, you know, in different funds, right? It just depends on the fund and, and the geography. I would say at a high level, right? Um, most of the things we look at initially are really no different than a, than a large established generalist fund, right? So obviously you need a great founder and great team. You need a great product. You need a really big market growing fast, right? Um, uh, you need to make sure that the financial returns work. Uh, you know, you need to make sure that the customers are satisfied. You know, that kind of rudimentary checkbox that I would say most good investors have in their in their IC decks. I think what makes it different for us is um, one component that's really critical, which is can we drive revenue to this company, right? And that's an extra component that we really really focus on very heavily. Um, we're not going to go into a deal or go with a company where We cannot either directly derive revenue through an introduction to our LP or through a distribution partnership. And I think that's something that's really critical for us that, that's different is just that we've got that extra angle um, that needs to check the box. And a lot of times we've had a lot of great companies come to us and just unfortunately, um, you know, I have to tell them like, we can't, you know, we can't be helpful with you, right? Um, we can't help you. And so ultimately we have to pass, but, but that's something that's very important to us because um, obviously, if we're, you know, it's what makes us different. It's part of our brand. And, uh, you know, reputation is everything in venture capital. So if, if we get a company and we're not able to add value, um, and we know that from the beginning, then we're, we're really being disingenuous and, and wasting that founder's time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, however, there might be also the challenge to say you are limiting your uh, potentially a flow towards startups in order to increase your market to new angles. Um, I guess you also have some 
checks and balances to make sure that if there's something to make a um, which requires certainly um, a leap of faith towards a new angle, be it a blockchain, be it I IoT, which doesn't have a direct use case for already an LP, I guess I assume you still might go for it because it still fits into a certain investment thesis you're following. Yeah, absolutely. So when I say we need to add value, it doesn't need to be immediately, right? So it just needs to be conceptual. So a great example would be, we would have passed on Facebook, right? Because there, there was no way for us to add value to Facebook yeah. through our real estate partners, right? Um, but, you know, a lot of companies we've backed, um, I'll give you a, a few great examples, uh, Notarize, right? Which is essentially a, um, I, I love this company. It's basically a, a notarization system through your phone. Uh, so you don't have to go to the notary anymore. It's on your phone and they can e-notarize. Now, there was a tremendous amount of legislation that needed to change in the United States per state in order for notarize to work, right? Because it's not always legal in every state. Um, mm -hmm. And so in that case, we kind of took a leap of faith that this founder was going to figure it out in order to become legal, in order to work with our partners, right? Mm -hmm. um, you had the same thing with state's title. A lot of times that does happen in real estate because these founders are coming up with new models. And a lot of times what they're doing right away, it's not that it's illegal, it's just that it's not let yet legal because of the way they're doing it. And yeah. so a lot of times what they're doing is putting the product together, a lot, you know, working with the government or working with the regulatory authorities to say, hey, this works, can you approve it? Um, and then going out to market. So that's often the case where, um, you know, we may back a company that's very futuristic or very cutting edge what they're doing is not necessarily being able to be implemented right away or the partners are saying, hey, hang on a sec, like, you know, the, you know, this is too early for us. We're totally fine taking that type of risk. What we've also been fortunate with is the case where sometimes our partners say, you know, we'll ask our partners, hey, what do you think about this company? What do you think about this investment? Um, again, we're, we're totally independent, so we can make decision no matter what. But they may say to us, hey, you know, we don't think this is a good investment or, hey, um, you know, we think this is too far out. And luckily so far, we've been right to make that investment. You know, so we've made the investment and then they've said, hey, that's why I'm in fifth wall. You know, you're a venture capitalist. You can take the risk. Um, we've taken the risk. And then two years later, once product market fit was there, once the legislation went through, the partners come back and say, hey, can, can you put us in touch with that company? Because it's working. Nice. Uh, so I think that's really the key to fifth wall is that at a high level, what we're really trying to do, and, and I think we've been lucky to do it so far, is to do corporate venture in, in a better way, um, where we have complete independence to really look around the corner. Because I think one of the challenges a little bit with corporate venture is that it doesn't have the independence. It's still part of the mothership. And therefore, they're always looking over their shoulders to the mothership and getting restricted. And so, you know, a, a venture capitalist needs to be able to look around corners, needs to be able to look around the future and can't be a lot of times restricted by, you know, a CEO that's nervous. And so we've been able to, because we're independent, been able to do that in the right way. And I think, I think it's led to great progress and, and um, uh, luckily has worked out for us. So. Perfect. Um, give us an, what is your biggest success story or at fifth wall would you one of them you have you have many but which is uh, one which you could highlight right now to audience uh, to get yeah. to get an idea 
what you're what you're investing in. Yeah, I mean, so let's put investment. Uh, we've been lucky that you know, let's put investment performance aside. But I, I think always, oftentimes, like you know, the market may may not appreciate as much uh, a really successful business story as much as you know others, right? So what I mean by that is your best investment performance may not be the coolest company that you've invested in, right? So put, putting the investment performance aside, but luckily, you know, these have worked out. Um, I think the one that's probably most interesting to me um, uh, that we, you know, that we've done and, um, you know, became a public company is, is Open Door, where this was kind of one of our first big investments in the space or in at Fifth Wall. And the reason I think it's it's probably so interesting and I think so dynamic is that it was, you know, it's an iBuyer, right? So it's basically, it's a, it's an internet platform that buys your home instantaneously and then tries to sell it in the next month or, or two with, you know, using bank financing. And I think why I like this company so much and I like the, I think it's the model is so interesting is that it's really trying to create a liquidity marketplace for homes. And I think that in a lot of ways, that's badly needed for people that need to move homes quickly um, or are in a situation where they want certainty of sale and don't wanna deal with the hassle. Um, and so that was a very big bet for us early on. It was you know, a classic venture type of deal because it was a brand new business model People said it couldn't be done. People said it was a terrible idea. And now it's a public company and, and you know, doing well. And so I think that, you know, it, it had a dynamic founder. It was a very interesting idea. And, and obviously the long-term play there is that uh, once you own the customer through that sale, you can do a lot of other things with that customer, right? You can provide mortgages, you can do title insurance in the US, you can do these types of things. Um, in addition, I think the real benefit long-term is really to uh, create a more efficient sales process for the seller and the buyer ultimately. And if you look at uh, surveys from people, buying and selling homes are regularly kind of one of the worst experiences for them, right? Very tense, very stressful, very confusing. You pay huge amounts of money and you don't, you don't really feel you're getting your value for your dollar. Um, and so this company in one bed is, is kind of in an all-encompassing way is trying to make a better experience for consumers. I think also the long-term benefit will be lower fees. Um, and I think that, you know, in a better experience and, and you're already seeing that in terms of shorter closing times for, for homes in the U.S. For, for residential homes. So, you know, it will always be near and dear to every fifth wall person's heart because it was one of our first big bets, um, uh, big, big investments. Uh, you know, it was a dynamic, it, it is a dynamic company, dynamic founder. Um, and I think it's just a quite interesting story. So, yes, yeah, so you huge societal impact as well. Um, totally, totally um, re redefining the entire market and also the entire buying process. Interesting. You mentioned also another very interesting uh, company, which you know, basically no one normally knows, which is VTS. Yes. And uh, is totally on it. Let's say it's still so much of money is, uh, is being transacted and they are basically, or their software is being used by so many 
um, companies which have a lot of assets. Um, give us an overview on this one. And also, because it has this international um, angle, which is obviously also for Halukasa interesting, uh, because we are also taking this international angle. Uh, my question there would be also more leaning towards, do you see this one basically still limited in the future towards the huge investment funds, real estate investment investment funds? Or do you think like even maybe potentially um, international uh, retail uh, investors could also benefit from that? Sure. So, so VTS at a high level, view the space. Um, it's a software company that does lease management at a high level. So if you go back before VTS, um, uh, generally, if you asked a big owner of, you know, big manager of real estate, big owner of real estate, a fund or, you know, an individual real estate company, how many square foot feet you had under management and, and how many leases you had, it would be tucked in sometimes hundreds of different spreadsheets, right? Uh, with the line item of the, of the tenant, you know, the terms, et cetera. And so what this did was essentially take all those spreadsheets and then put it into a very seamless software interface. Um, they also then created what was called a tenant relationship management tool or TRM tool. Um, uh, over time, they built that, which basically was, a, was an interface to your tenants and making sure that you're, you're doing a good job on the tenant relationship management. Um, and then uh, at the same time, they also got into most recently in the last year or two, uh, tenant engagement applications. So they bought a company called Rise that does uh, basically think of it as an app for a building. Um, and then what they're increasingly doing is uh, taking the data uh, that, because it's, it's live lease data, right? So as you put the lease data in, that's live lease data, taking the data and then aggregating it at a high level with the permission of people and sharing it with people that also share their data so that you can get live lease data at an aggregate level. So let's just say you want to know in this part of London, what are the leases that are getting signed right away? Generally, you would either call a broker or you would go to another service, which was very delayed. Generally, that data is stale, six months, one year, and a lot of it is not even accurate. This is lively data that's accurate. So um, what happened in that situation was very interesting. We were a very early investor in that company. Um, we ended up bringing a lot of our LPs into that business as customers. Um, and then what we also did was uh, a few months after we invested, they bought another company called Hightower, which was their competitor. And we had other LPs on the Hightower platform. And so we helped them bring them over. Um, what happened after we invested and then brought our LPs in like Heinz and others was that it really became the de facto solution. So in a sense, we were um, king making that company by bringing these LPs in into one platform. And so that is really the de facto solution. Um, they have a huge percentage of commercial real estate in the US on the platform. They came over to the UK, are doing extremely well in the UK, have a number of logos, and we've helped them with that. They're going into Europe, you know, they're going to be in the Middle East, going to be in Asia. Um, and so it is a global platform. And we think a lot about, well, you know, what companies could be global that we could help with our global footprint and what are going to be more domestic. I think this one is a classic one where it exports quite well, because if you're an international manager um, like a Heinz or others, you really don't want different lease management systems per country, right? You want to be able to look at your portfolio at a global basis and then, you know, be able to not have to use different software systems per country. And I think this is one of those that do really well. Obviously, it's in a, it's in a later stage now. It's, it's more of what we would call kind of a growth company, right, in later stage. Um, 
you know, very popular, doing extremely well, great founding team that are still there. Um, and, you know, we're really excited about it and it's still, um, you know, performing extremely well. Very nice. Perfect. Super, super interesting. Thank you so much for the insights. Um, yeah. Let's move a little bit to um, PropTech in general. And you're right yeah. now um, leading, leading the European team or co-leading the European team. Yeah. Um, give us an overview on uh, maybe the PropTech investment firm or PropTech investment uh, venture capital, um, capitalists in, in Europe. Is it a very segmented? Is it super, super consolidated to have also there an overview of the market in general right now? Sure. So I think it's an incredibly exciting time to be in Europe. Um, I think it's, it's very funny, right? Being an American from Silicon Valley, kind of coming to Europe, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, why are you going to Europe, et cetera? And, and the way I describe it is, is almost like the US and Silicon Valley and like kind of a combination of the early 2000s or late 90s, let's say before the bubble burst. Um, and then also like you know, kind of 2004 to 2007, when a lot of these emerging technology companies were coming, coming of age. Um, you're in a developed economy, but in a sense, you're in a developing tech market, right? And so it's very exciting in the sense of being South African, being from a developing market, um, you have this interesting combination of, you know, it's very new in terms of tech. Uh, I am very hopeful for the future here. I think one is that the talent level is incredibly high in terms of the people we're seeing starting businesses. In addition, uh, people don't realize how many software engineers exist in Europe. Um, it's more than in the US. I think it's something like 4.5 million. And um, so you've got this incredible tech talent. Um, and at the same time, a talent of people moving into the space. It's popular to do a startup. It's popular to go and do things. And, and that's what you need, right? Because you need a lot of talent coming in because you know, most aren't going to survive. Um, and so, you know, I'm very, very excited about that. In addition, the regulatory authorities and government authorities clearly get that technology is the future. And so they are making sure and, and doing their best and look, there are, you know, people are going to make mistakes and not everything's perfect, but I do give a lot of credit to the governments here for really trying to um, get, you know, startups and, and get tech innovation going in their ecosystems because they realize this is the future. Um, in terms of the ecosystem, look, it, There's a few standard funds we work with that are generalist funds that do a great job. Um, there are a few American funds coming over. Um, you know, actually, you know, I think you know we're we're lucky to be one of the first ones, but a few coming over now um, that are starting to set up shop here. They they see the opportunity here, um, uh, and then uh, you know there's Asian funds and, and Middle Eastern funds as well coming in, mostly in the growth rounds, but increasingly coming in the in the earlier rounds. Um, and people sense that there is an opportunity. There's just so much low-hanging fruit here in terms of the investment that people are very excited about it. I, I do think that um, you do need a local presence. I, I think it is hard. In the growth stage, maybe you could do it as an outside firm, kind of coming over, flying over, meeting the team, investing. But you know, venture is about local networks, and it's about understanding the local ecosystems, and you do need a presence here. You don't need a presence in every country, but I think you need a presence here. You need boots on the ground. Um, and I do think that's important. And that's really what I think is separating the later stage investors that are kind of dipping their toe in from the people that I think are going to really reap the rewards in terms of the, the, the early sense of it. The other thing I'll say lastly is, and with the greatest respect, obviously I'm American and love American entrepreneurs, but the entrepreneurs here are just tougher. I mean, I, you know, a lot of them have not 
they haven't been through, uh, you know, decades of having lots of venture firms that give money to them, right? A lot of them have bootstrapped. A lot of them have, uh, you know, uh, come from backgrounds where they're, you know, they're really striving and, and, and trying their best to build a great business. And, and when you get that, there's just a certain amount of thick skin that you develop and tough and toughness you develop. Um, someone asked me what's the most important attribute of an entrepreneur if I had to pick one. And it wouldn't be the, the smartest person. It wouldn't be, uh, you know, um, uh, necessarily, you know, the, the brightest or the most, you know, e you know, best salesperson. It would be the person that is the toughest, you know, um, the person that has the biggest tenacity, um, you know, and, and just will never give up. And I think, you know, you get that from that toughness. Um, and I think that that's why I'm very positive about the entrepreneurs is that they, 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 they haven't been spoiled. Um, and so because of that, there's a toughness to them. And, and uh, I think that'll lead to a lot of great outcomes. It's interesting that you say that. Normally, I thought the uh, basic mindset is that the Europeans are uh, with the, you know, let's say, social net and uh, with a lot of benefits and a lot of vacation, especially in comparison to the US. People are weaker and not as tough as in the US and not as hardworking. And it's interesting. I think you're the first person um, from the US saying that, and especially also me listening to various podcasts such as Jason Calacanis, whatever it is, um, there's definitely like a very strong mindset with regards to being being a softer, softer or too soft uh, in Europe for, for proper investments. So um, very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. But look, I, I think again, you know, taking out the stereotypes and the average, we're not, you know, if you're, if you're working in venture, you're lucky to be working with the top one or 2% percent people. Right. And, and so I will tell you my entrepreneurs and my founders, they care a lot about their employees and they care about their welfare and they obviously have different perspectives, but they're working their tails off. They're working weekends. Uh, uh, you know, th there's, there's, you know, they're working extremely hard because It's, it's a race initially, right? And, and there's such a timing element to it and you've got to do it now and you should have done it yesterday. And there's, there's also just a first mover advantage. And so I think that, um, you know, it, it's the reality of, of venture and startups that, um, you know, great things are built on night and weekends. And I think yeah. that, you know, people, people realize that. Um, and again, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, saying people don't need a work-life balance and, and need to work hard. But I think for the entrepreneurs who, who run the business, right, they're, they're working extremely hard. Yeah, makes total sense. Okay, cool. Thanks. Um, on the, uh, within Europe, um, do you see any certain trends which um, might be different um, than in the US? Or do you also see the same trends as in, again, uh, IoT, blockchain, mobility, and there? because you also go into investments such as the last mile delivery and stuff. Um, what is right now for you the hottest where you see like the most money being poured in and, uh, and, uh, and deployed on the, um, let's say, solution and tech, tech angle? Yeah, so I mean, one of the reasons we were very excited about Europe was that there was this kind of two to three year tech delay in prop tech from the US to Europe. And that app, You know, that has nothing to do with the talent base here or any attributes of the founders. It's really just that in the U.S., you had the biggest, deepest VC ecosystem 
combined with the most institutionalized real estate asset class, right? If, if you took institutional real estate as an asset class in the US, it would be the biggest asset class in the world. So when you combine those two things, because institutionalization generally drives efficiency and you combine it with tech and venture, um, you're going to get a tech ecosystem and prop tech that is just a little more advanced in terms of timing. Um, and so you're seeing that delay here coming about. You know, what we're seeing a lot of without going into too many specifics, obviously because we're talking to companies, but you know, we're seeing a lot in residential. Um, residential is really kind of the first ball to drop. And we saw that in the US. You're seeing that here. Um, and it makes total sense, right? And and you know, you so I think that is similar in that particular case. You're seeing it a lot in what I call fintech prop tech. Certainly there's a lot happening there. Um, I actually think in some cases, Europe may be equal to, if not ahead, the US in certain fintech prop tech applications. Um, because I think in certain consumer fintech, uh, I, I do believe Europe is ahead. I mean, I, I think things like Revolut or Monzo, there's really no real equivalent in the US in terms of uh, those that are that far ahead and have that strong customer bases. Um, and, it, you know, we can speculate over why that is, but I, I do think that that's the case. So those are the two areas that we're probably seeing the most kind of investment action, so to speak. And then slowly other things will go down beyond the pike. Obviously, there are very unique attributes to real estate angles at a domestic level um, that may make it unique in terms of uh, the different applications that come in, right? Uh, so, you know, in France, you have certain legal restrictions or legal rules when you're renting apartments or buying an apartment, um, and that will lead to new software institute, you know, software that will help in that particular way. Um, that's different than the U.S., right? Um, title insurance is a very big thing in the U.S. It's not a very big thing in the U.K. because of the conveyancing process and the way um, they go through it. So you will have these kind of unique angles. Um, but uh, so aside from that, I also think just sustainability will be a much bigger theme and, and much more forward than the U.S. I mean, the sustainability tech we're seeing, the talent level we're seeing here, is much, it's, it just leaps and bounds in some cases ahead of the US. And, it, and, and really part of that is just that one, you've got a, a much more advanced regulatory system here in terms of sustainability. And then secondly, energy prices are just a lot higher. So what that means is that if you're retrofitting a building or putting new tech into a building, the payback periods because of the energy saved are much quicker. Um, in fact, you know, in our in our climate tech fund, um, we have a company called uh, TermTide, and it started in the U.S. but has come to Europe, and you know we're helping it in Europe. And you know, the CEO now says, you know, we have more people in Europe than the U.S. Um, and and what they do is they retrofit your your HVAC system, so they put a new engine in your HVAC system that's anywhere from thirty to sixty percent more efficient. So. You know, if you're a landlord in the UK with sky high energy prices, right, or in Germany, um, you know, your payback periods are just so much quicker than someone, you know, someone that owns a, 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 a building in, in Manhattan, right? Uh, and so I think that you're going to see a lot of that. And I think Europe will be a great place and is a great place to start a green tech, you know, to start a green tech venture. And I think you'll see a lot of great technology come out of the U.S., 
and really start establishing itself very well in Europe because of the uh, because of the market here. Amazing. Um, you mentioned so many uh, different trends right now, and going also into the trends in general. What else do you see there going? We 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 can talk buying process automation. You you mentioned it with the open door. You mentioned right now the um, going going to zero, and you even have like your your own playlist on on this one on your on your YouTube channel, which is amazing. Um, do you is there anything with what you see is even at the crisp of you know getting getting bit big, which is not even hasn't even taken off that yet? Yeah, look, I mean, I think what you're what you're hitting on, which is why we get excited about the space is that there's, there's so much low hanging fruit in this area. Um, you know, there's going to be fits and starts. I think the big thing we try to sift through is what's going to be a real venture bet and what's going to be an okay outcome. Right. And, and a lot of the things are point solutions. So you have to be a little careful when you're investing that, you know, that you see the, the escape velocity of the company and the company is going to be big. It doesn't mean it's not a great company. It doesn't mean it's not run by great people. It's just, you know, our return expectations are quite high. And so therefore it needs to be a big outcome. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the, the area that we haven't seen as much, uh, I would say progress that probably is on the horizon is, is, is kind of in the commercial finance area. Um, I think it's an area that is, and, and commercial real estate in general, and I, I'm not sure I, I'm not sure we fully figured this out um, and we've looked at it a lot on why commercial real estate technology takes so much longer than residential. Um, it could be sales cycles. It could be a bunch of stuff, but we haven't quite you know, figured it out. Um, and I don't know if we'll ever figure it out, but it does seem to take longer. Um, but I think that that commercial finance area is just right for the picking because um, you have this perfect combination of um, really massive markets, right? Um, and at the same time, huge amounts of pain in terms of just getting transactions done and et cetera. So, you know, if I had a really smart, um, let's say, you know, engineer grad from Europe that comes to me and says, you know, what should I go into? I'd say that's probably a really good area to start looking at, right? Um, it's got crypto angles to it. It's got blockchain angles to it. There's all kinds of things you can do. Um, but what we haven't seen is really, much innovation in that area. And I think, I do think that that's an area that probably people are gonna be spending more time with. Yeah, perfect. Um, directly also, um, follow up question on commercial real estate um, combined with, with, let's say work from anywhere. Um, what do you see there as a trend and also as market opportunities? Um, for our, from our point of view on Hello Casa, we definitely do see like the work from anywhere move moving forward like a lot of many more real estate trades transactions of retail buyers taking place um abroad um do you have do you have a yeah a certain point of view on on this one yeah it's great right and it's it's so important right because i think um this the the change that we've gone through with covid put aside obviously all this like all the psychological issues we're going to be handling over the next few decades, but and 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 the economic mess, but um, you know this is the biggest change in working since the industrial revolution, right? Um, and it has profound effects on all of us uh, and and the working environment. 
what I've tried to do throughout this, because everyone's got an opinion on this, right? Um, on whether it's going to be a work from home or not or whatever, uh, is just really look at the data. I think that what it will likely come down to, and again, this is this is averages, right? There's extremes on either end. There's some there's some companies that just say we cannot have people work at home. This is too intense a job. We need everyone together, blah, blah, blah. There's some that will say, hey, we're all a bunch of programmers. We're fine working from home all day. Let's do that, right? I think most companies will be somewhere in between. And I think what it'll probably be is a Tuesday through Thursday in the office, and then Monday, Friday, flexible, do whatever you want. Um, some people have said, yeah, but then you know, why don't people just choose different places? But it's just so complicated to know ahead of time where the heck you're going to be, right? And so I think that's part of it. Now, will that facilitate some remote work? Absolutely, right? Um, because even at the edges that, you know, if you're talking about a, uh, let's just take the U.S. economy or the British economy, right? U.S. The Spanish economy, a $2 trillion economy. So even if you took 10% of a $2 trillion economy, that's $200 million. <laughs> that's a lot of money, right? So on the extremes, that absolutely will facilitate remote work, and you'll have that, and um, you know you, this this term digital nomads, right? And and you'll have those types of people um, at the 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 big end, right? The the middle group. Um, I think it'll be Tuesday through Thursday where people will say, "Hey, you need to be in the office, and we're going to collaborate, and we're going to do this." Um, and then Monday through Friday, you know, do whatever you need. And I think that'll likely provide them the flexibility people want uh, with the connectivity they want. Uh, with the culture, right? Because I, I, I do think that one of the challenges a little bit of work from home and remote work is that, um, that you know, the bodies we're living are the products of 5 million years of evolution, right? And there are, that we just always work together. And so to suddenly change that, I just don't think our bodies are ready for that, right? I just don't think our human communication is ready for that. I, I, and, and so I do think most of people will be back in the office for three days a week, let's call it. Um, and then the Monday to Friday will be flexible. Now, what does that do for demand for office space? Um, I think it's probably minimal right now, right? Because I think what happens is that when everyone's there, you don't want to have too much of a density. And so therefore you'll, you'll, you'll use it. Um, it could, you know, th there are a number of companies trying to attack that problem, right? Where it's like kind of spatial management and doing that type of thing. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, will that work? It, it could work. Um, and, and then the other thing is that it really depends on the economic circumstance you're in, right? If, if you're in a booming economy, people aren't as concerned about costs. They're not looking to cut too much. If you're in a downturn in the economy, maybe people are trying to cut the real estate. I also think people need to realize that it depends on the business, right? It depends on how big an overhead is your real estate footprint, right? Um, for a massive tech company that's growing like a weed, Real estate is a fairly small cost for them, right? And so to then um, uh, like micromanage their real estate footprint, that's such a small cost, it's just not worth it, right? Most of their cost is, is humans. Um, and so they're perfectly willing to pay a little extra for real estate if people like being in the space and, and doing that type of thing. So I really think what we're trying to do, which is classically human, is, is create these kind of universal truths now uh, for things that are very case specific. Um, and so I think that that's the case, but I think you'd have to, it, we are seeing, and I do think you'll see a decrease of office space slightly, at least, you know, I can't give a number on it, but maybe let's say there's five to 15%, not because necessarily people are using the office less, 
because when they're in there Tuesday through Thursday, they're going to need basically the same amount of space, but more because kind of the dedicated offices, you know, the dedicated private offices, those types of things are, are kind of of yesteryear, right? And so because of just the, the changes in the office, that'll, that'll be the case. But that opens up huge opportunities for entrepreneurs, right? Work from home, uh, much more logistics at the office site, much more communication ahead of time, much more planning than needed. Um, and then just managing a remote workforce, right? Takes a lot of technology. So I think that um, there's huge opportunities for people that are in the space. Perfect, awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, we're already wrapping up actually. Is there anything oh, else um, we, we didn't touch upon and you would like to share with the audience? No, I think it's great. I mean, I really appreciate having me on. Um, you know, we, uh, we're really excited about the ecosystem here. We're really excited to support Europe and, um, and support the great entrepreneurs. Um, you know, if you're very lucky in what I do in terms of supporting them and meeting them and helping as much as we can. Um, and I really appreciate you having on here and, um, uh, you know, uh, thank you so much for, for your time. Thank you, Rolf. Uh, I hope uh, we talk soon. And I also hope that you're going to pull out your, uh, your racket and uh, play some tennis and have some free time. As you mentioned before, it's so important to also have some, uh, you know, some uh, off time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm in the it's squash season now, so I'm on the squash court, and, uh, oh, yeah. and we'll get once the sun comes out here uh, in a few months, we'll uh, we'll get back on the tennis court. So, perfect. Okay, hey, thank you so much. Have a nice, yeah. uh, nice evening. Have a nice weekend, and uh, we talk soon. Thank you so much. Bye. 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 Awesome.